Um, reading from 2 Timothy 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of, them, sorry, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind that worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Joms opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. These are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as, the case of, as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. A final charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you, Karen. Oh, they're on. Fantastic. Um, Keep that passage in front of you, and stuff will be on the screen as well. It's interesting, in that last Paul talk that Paul gave us before he moved away, he talked about a, the, that, that illustration that you might have heard lots of times about the preacher that gets up and preaches the same sermon over and over again. And I think this is about the third week in the row that we've had this pretty much the same Bible reading. Um, so I'm not going to preach the same sermon. <laughs> There's still gold to mine out of this passage so that's what we're going to do this morning and um let's pray as we as we look at it together loving father we give you great thanks for your word that it speaks and it never ceases from speaking to us lord that you um, in your wisdom have given it to us and lord you give us your spirit to be able to understand it and so father we pray that your spirit would be at work deep in our hearts through this, this time now, and Lord, it would be bringing conviction and clarity and encouragement to our lives, and, and that it would be preparing us for what's ahead of us in following you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a little bit croaky this morning, so I hope that you hear me clearly, but um, I wanted to start by thinking about um, reality television shows. Now, I've pretty much weaned myself off all of them, because... 
There were some good ones in the early days, and then I got kids, so that's part of the reason why I don't watch TV much. But the other thing about them is, like, Australians have pretty much ruined reality television shows. I'm not sure if you realise this, but if you watch the original version that comes from overseas, it's succinct. It's like 40 minutes, and they've told you everything that happened in that bit of the jungle or in that kitchen or in that renovation or whatever in the space of 40 minutes. They recap the whole week. Whereas Australians, for some reason, the producers of these shows want to tell us everyone's perspective on the one little thing, like when they forgot to buy a pack of screws down at Mitre 10 or something ridiculous like that. And you cut to all these different people, don't you, of one person saying, oh, I can't believe they forgot the screws. And then the other guy comes in and he says, you guys, you realise you forgot the screws? Yes, we know we forgot the screws and it just carries on and it's rubbish, isn't it? But the thing about the thing that really annoyed me before that about reality television shows is all this talk of, oh, we've been on a great journey. It was such a great journey. Like, they got voted out, like, first because they were a dud, because they should have probably never made the final 12 in Australian Idol or whatever. They couldn't really sing, but they were good-looking or something. And they finally realised it. So all they've got to say is, oh, it was a great journey. Anyway... The journey talk just annoyed me, and I'm not sure why, because it's actually not a bad way to think. It's not a bad thing to understand. See, we don't know what our life holds for us. And in our own way, we are on a journey. And our life, specifically following Jesus, is a journey, and it's unknown. And it comes back to that relationship that we build with our God, who becomes our Father whom we learn to trust. And the journey that we go on, it doesn't really matter because we know the destination. Last week I shared with you about my mate Kenyon Steve, who was a good runner, and he fluked seventh in this fun run that he did out at Armadale, this 6K fun run, but he could have done better had he just known the path that he was going on. Yesterday I bumped into Kevin, and Kevin told me how anyone, anytime he goes anywhere, he picks the most scenic route. doesn't matter about getting there quickly or efficiently, but he wants to go through the windy roads and see the sights whenever he goes anywhere. And I actually think that's more like the journey that Jesus takes us on. The journey that we're on as Christians is moulding us into the likeness of Jesus. Both good and bad, the circumstances that we'll go through, God guides us through to build character and build Christ-likeness in us. And so that brings us back to this part of 2 Timothy. Last week, we looked at the first nine verses of this passage, and that, those verses highlight for us some, some barriers or some, um, some things, or some obstacles that we will face in our Christian life. Where we're going today is to the positive side of what lies ahead of us in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. And what we're going to see today is that our Christian life is marked out, even though it's unknown, it's still marked out by God's Word. And we're also going to think about how it's not just a set of steps to follow, but that it's a life to be lived. Just like my mate Steve needed to know the path that laid before him, 
we also have in this part of, of God's word the path that we go on as Christians. And what this passage is really highlighting for us is that what comes to us through a mentoring relationship, a discipling relationship, through being discipled. And what it brings us to is back to God's word itself. So if you look right back at verse 1 of chapter 3, it tells us there, but mark this, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing, at verse 10. At verse 10 he says, you however, see he's contrasting everything that he's just said. Last week we were challenged from the first part of the chapter that these obstacles are going to keep being there, that sin and sin in the world and sinfulness in the lives of others can trip us up. That that life that seeks pleasure before God, that life that might look godly but doesn't have any power, is an an obstacle that we need a warning about. He's warning not just about a slippery slope into temptation, but other people in our lives that will lead us astray. And if you read on in 2 Timothy into chapter 4, he talks, he actually talks about people amongst them as the Christian church who have the wrong message and therefore set the wrong example. But like I said, we're going to the positive side of all of this this morning in these other verses. This week, we break it down into four points that I want to share with you. The first is that Paul's own life models living out the message of the gospel. The second point is that Paul urges that Timothy would continue to live out the message. The third thing is that Paul encourages Timothy that scripture, that the Bible itself preserves the core message of salvation. And finally, Paul encourages Timothy that it's scripture that equips him for the road that's ahead of him. And so really, there's only two simple points to what I want to say today. It's about, so we're going to be talking about mentoring and then secondly, about God's word itself. What's your experience of mentoring been like? Whether it's been in a Christian context or outside of it, maybe in your work, what's your experience of it been like? Let's bring it back into that Christian context. Who discipled you? You might have been blessed to be discipled by a parent or a family member. Maybe there was a significant youth leader or a good friend who introduced you to Jesus or someone else. For me, I was blessed to have um, a youth pastor way back in the early 2000s, actually the late 90s move up here, um, one of the SUFM team. And he would do very simple things like invite me around to learn some songs, play some music with him or go up to... um, Um, come to church but then also go to a church in Lismore on a Sunday night and just invest in me that way. For me and Tara, a big time of mentoring was 2010, which was the last year that we lived here before we moved out to Armidale and we lived right next door to Paul and Karina. And it was just life on life, it was life lived out together that really built us up in our faith and our understanding. One time um, we were sitting at their home and this is when all their kids were still there, and we were looking around, and someone made the comment that there was no photos of Tara and I on the wall or on the fridge or anything like that. And their second eldest, Alexander, who's the smart aleck of the family, said, well, we don't need your photo. You're a walking picture. You're here all the time. 
But that kind of describes what it was like to be there, to be living with each other. That's why we bang on so much about living life in community. Because by doing that, it's like the iron sharpening iron picture. It's that life on life to build one another up in Jesus. See, what I want to encourage you is don't get busy either in life or in your Christian faith without having mentors in place. Don't get busy without it. It's very easy to do, particularly if you've said you're going to serve in an area in the church or in some way, there's a wealth of experience and encouragement and understanding that's out there. And so we are implored by God's word to have mentors among us, which I'll show you in a moment. But the second thing is, is that we should never resist being mentored. Everyone's own life journey, everyone's own journey of faith contributes something different and unique. And there's great richness in the relationships that we can have with one another that really build us up in that. Where am I getting this from? Well, Paul says, he talks about this relationship, but there's something that Paul has said in another letter that really anchors this idea. Back in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He tells the Corinthians to follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So you'll see it right there in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith. Where am I? Patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Paul talks about his teaching. He reminds Timothy that he sat under his teaching and that he should be all about the message that Paul has taught to him. Now, we know very clearly that Paul has built him up in the gospel. That is the message that he's talking about there. You know know all about my teaching. You know that I've stuck to the truth of Jesus. And I've not gone away from it anywhere. And then he says, not only my teaching, but you know about my way of life. You've seen it in me, my transformed life. Now, if you know anything of Paul's story, it's quite incredible the way that his life was transformed from someone that was set out to stop the church, to shut it down, and it didn't faze him to see people executed to reach that end, to being someone that now lived for Jesus and put his own life on the line to see that the message would spread everywhere. You know about my way of life, Timothy. It's been transformed by this message. And those things go together. In fact, if a life and a message don't meet up, It's hypocrisy, and you won't follow that person. By sharing life in that way, we build one another up, and it it adds weight to our message, and it gives context to our message as well. And they're really at the start, and I think they anchor the rest of what Paul says here. The things that come next flow out of both his life and his teaching, because he talks about his purpose. He talks about how in his own life, his own Christian life, he was purposeful. It wasn't just haphazard. He didn't just get busy doing something. He wasn't just programming stuff to kind of take him through to the end of the year and then rethinking it in December. He was actually purposeful in every moment. He talks about his faith. You've seen my faith in action. And I I reckon where you see um, someone encourage you in faith is 
is when you're having that conversation, when you're having that conversation about what's going on for you in your life, and you get to the end of the conversation, and they're not trying to just, they're not just nodding and saying, yep, that's, I get it. And they're not trying to offer advice or come up with like the plan to get you out of the situation. Now, I think that uh, faith conversations, the kind of conversations that we can have each other, are those that lead us back to that truth that we don't know the journey that's ahead of us, but we know the Father that's taking us on that journey and leading us back to putting our trust in that. Then he talks about his patience. And Paul, you can see, he ministered out of a relationship with God, with God following his leading. He was never someone to just try to make things happen. He wasn't going to build it and they would come, that kind of mentality. He wasn't like, if I put on the biggest show, they will come. He put substance over style and he was patient. He ministered out of a relationship with God. And that's the example that we have set for us as well. And not only that, the final thing that he speaks of there is love. There's real affection in this relationship. Affection for the people that he shared with. Sorry, that wasn't the last one over my page. He talks about endurance, persecutions and sufferings. He says to Timothy, don't give up when circumstances might force you to. In fact, he goes so far in this passage to say that persecution in the Christian life is a given. It will happen. Paul's life as Timothy has seen it and shared in it has been marked out by the gospel, taking hold of him and transforming him. And so that leads us into verse 14. Listen to this. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He says, continue on that path. You know those who you've learned it from. I've been your disciple. I've been your mentor. I've guided you in this way. But not only me, your mother and your grandmother. We learn about them earlier in the letter. From an infant, Paul has been, uh, Timothy has been instructed in this way. And so if we go back to those verses we jumped over, verse 12 and 13, in fact, everyone who wants to live a life, a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you've got to continue on that path, but remembering that it will get hard. It gets hard and people will try to pull you away. So We've got to be reminded to stick at it. Now, we've got big changes afoot in our church at the moment. We've got, we've got a, some uncertainty. But we've got the same God that we follow. We have Jesus with us, leading and guiding us. See, I think that this is a time for us as a church to really test our commitment and our belief, to bring our focus not to the security of having someone or not to Paul and Karina and their personalities, although I don't think that's where we were at. But regardless of, of exactly where we're at, it's a time, it, we're forced into this time to test our commitment and belief. Maybe sticking at it for you comes back to the things that we talked about last week. 
Maybe you're needing that break from people who are unhelpful. Or maybe sticking at it for you is just making some changes, getting in the habit of a quiet time, or joining in a a gospel community, or trying to start one somewhere. Whatever it is, the message is to stick at living out the gospel and to do it with mentors and disciples and community in place around us because that's what Paul is appealing to as he talks to Timothy here. Stick at living out the gospel. But Paul doesn't stop there. Verses 14 and 15 tell us this. As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know the people, Timothy, Paul says, and you know the Word. See, God's Word is sufficient to make us wise for salvation, it says. Now, Paul here must have been talking about the Old Testament, but it applies to the whole of the Bible. The whole of the Bible points to Jesus. Now, Sometimes I think we can find that the Bible's got so many different parts and it's, and it's written in so many different ways that we can kind of get a bit confused about it. So I'm going to try an analogy. I gave this as a devotion at Beach Mission and I completely stuffed this analogy up. So let's see if I've worked it out and got it right today. Okay. The Bible is not like the gym. Now, I know only a small portion of us actually go to the gym. I've had a membership before. Um, And I think I watched enough of what was going on while I was there to to work it out. So, the Bible is not like the gym. See, the gym only works, has a whole bunch of things, but pretty much you can only work one system or muscle group at a time. Is that right, Bob? Yes, okay. Now, you kind of need each part of the gym to do the full body workout. See, I'm not an expert in this, you can tell. And actually in the gym, if you get on the wrong piece of equipment, you can actually cancel out something that you've done in another part of the gym. So I know that if you do something that's too aerobic, you can start to burn away muscle mass that you've been trying to build. Can you nod for me, Bob, even even close here? Sure, okay. Some parts can cancel each other out. Not so the Bible. This is the point I'm trying to make. Every single part of the Bible points us to Jesus. It's literally, the whole story is is built around the moment in history when God enters the world to become the true Israel, to become the true Adam, to become what we couldn't be for ourselves, to be in our place and to be resurrected into the hope of new life and glory. Every single part of it brings us back to Jesus. Now, some bits are definitely easier to understand than others. That's no denying that. But it's the one whole that centers completely around the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, even creation at the very beginning of the Bible speaks of recreation in Jesus. The Exodus speaks of the salvation that is to come in Jesus. The Psalms sing the songs of a Messiah, of a king that will rule forever. The prophets speak of the hope of knowing a God who will reveal his salvation in time. The whole Bible, Paul can say confidently here, makes you wise for salvation. One of the things that Paul said in that last talk was to love the word of God because it will equip us. I remember 
um, thinking about this when I was a younger Christian and thinking, does God really speak to me? And I kind of got annoyed. Um, this was back, you might have heard of Steve Cree. He's a minister of a Presbyterian church in Brisbane. But back when I was at university, he would come along and give talks at the university in Lismore sometimes. And he really annoyed me one day because he posed that question, does God speak to you? And then he kind of rubbished the idea of God like speaking directly to you. And he said, go get your Bible and go sit under a tree and then you'll know that God's speaking to you. I kind of, the more that I've gone on, the more that I get what he actually means. See, look at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. God's word is sufficient for speaking to us. I don't want to deny that God's spirit will work in us and prompt us, but everything that we need to know is contained in his word. All of it's God's word, and, and God has spoken by it. It's not just that the writers were inspired in what they wrote, but God is the reason that we have the Bible. It is his word to you. One of the guys in our youth group, he's just in year 11 now, and he, he became a Christian at SUFM last year. And he's been quite slow to come to this understanding, particularly with the Old Testament. But slowly... It's been a challenge to me, actually, to try to show him that the, it's the whole thing, all with this consistent message of salvation. In fact, because it's God wor God's word, it does all those things that it says. Look at verse 16 in the second half of it. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word will teach you the message of salvation, of redemption from creation to new creation. It will rebuke your wrong thinking or it will rebuke any false teaching that you come across or encounter. It will correct things that you are likely to get wrong and it will train you in how to live out that message day by day. Training in righteousness overflows from understanding the gospel properly if you think back to the start of chapter three to all those things that are listed in verses one to five of that chapter all those things are what flow out of an incorrect understanding of who god is of the false teaching that's around but if we have god's word in its right place then it will flow out in how we live it will train us for righteousness god has given us his word to guard and preserve the message that we have been given. Now, I definitely feel that sometimes we make a little bit too much of the Word of God and our Bible teaching and Bible studies can sound sometimes like we're actually preparing to sit an exam once we get to heaven to make sure that we've actually understood it properly. I don't know whether you've, this has been your experience or not. You might hear a criticism of it to say that we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Bible. And we kind of like are all too, like all about it in, in a way that's not exactly understanding it for what it is. Yet on the other extreme, we can be very neglectful of the Bible. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking Christians broadly. can be very ne neglectful of the Bible. And our Christianity might look like a, a loose spiritual journey that kind of collects ideas from here and there. And some of them are from the Bible. But I really have no measure. I think the, the place to live is right in the middle of that. The Bible in its proper place will both guard us
from a wishy-washy kind of nothingness, but at the same time fill our hearts with affection for God, will point us back to the God whom we now have a relationship, who's set a path to redemption for us, as his word promises and makes clear. There's a quote on this that I'd just like to share with you in, in wrapping up today. I've got to turn that on to make it change. This is from John Piper. He says about the Bible this, I love the Bible the way I love my eyes. Not because my eyes are lovely, but because without them I can't see what's lovely. Without the Bible, I could not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Without the Bible, I could not know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Without the Bible, I would not know that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. I love the Bible because it gives the wisdom that leads to salvation and shows me that this salvation is nothing less than seeing and savouring the glory of Christ forever and then provides for me inexhaustible ways of seeing and knowing and enjoying Christ. Anyone who wants to live for Jesus needs God's word in their life to grow. So the final encouragement is to get into it. Get into it daily. Memorize it. Build one another up in it. Share what you've been reading. Send the Bible via text to each other. When you meet, make sure that the Bible's got a place. It's very easy to meet for a meal and then kind of talk about how busy you all are and then just kind of chuff off home. I've done it without actually looking at God's Word or, or having some kind of time in it. God's Word is one of the richest resources that we have. And so we need to be people that really live out the truth that it will teach us, rebuke us, correct us and train us in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work that is on that path that's set before us, set to run by his word, and that God has placed people around us to encourage us on that path, on that journey, and to finish that race strong. Just later in 2 Timothy, and I'll finish on this, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul reminds Timothy again of his own life and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have now finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let that be the truth of our lives as we live these things out in our own life. Let's pray. Loving Father, we give you great thanks for this part of your word that it brings to us um, encouragement, that it may bring to us some conviction of, of, of our own tendencies to put other things ahead of the relationships with one another in our church, of, of your word in our life. Lord, we think of people in the world who have only fragments of the Bible, have only memories of learning it, who live in intense persecution. And Lord, we pray that that might motivate us out of our often blase attitudes to actually making time for it. Lord, we ask that you protect us from being crowded out by it. That it w sorry, that it would be crowded out in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would give us boldness in one another's lives 
Equip us to mentor and disciple and encourage. Give us understanding as we come to your word. Help us to, to know it, know it well, and understand how it applies to our lives. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we forget this. But Lord, we know in your gospel that you constantly give us new opportunities to live differently. So we pray that by your spirit, you might change us again this day. In Jesus' name, amen.